Good morning, Jerry. Oh, good morning, Brother John. How are you, sir? I'm wide awake, ready to rock. We can make it happen. Yeah, that's good to hear. Hey, we almost uh, we had some trouble this morning. A little internet uh, interference. Yeah, well, that's just life as a uh, as a podcast personality. You got to expect a few bumps in the road. <laughs> well, for those of you who are new here, we are the Bro Show, and we are brothers. My name is Jerry, and my name is John. Yeah. And we talk about four things every week. The first thing we talk about is an animal. And the animal we talk about is a whale because this is the season of the whale. And yes. so we, as a result, we have a whale story. Secondarily, we have a word that we ran into while researching. And number three, we have a thing called two takes, which is our main topic. And the mm-hmm. last thing we have are two excellent groaners, dad jokes, bad mm-hmm. jokes, whatever you want to call them. So you ready to rock, John? I am ready to make it happen. So, hey, listen, anything above the waist we need to talk about? <laughs> yeah. T-shirts. Let's talk about the T-shirts <laughs> we're wearing. Oh, of course. Yeah, take it easy. Uh, what? Yeah, go ahead. I want to hear what you got on. I'm very – I'm just – I just can't wait to hear. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. I have the lizard t-shirt, the season of the lizard, which is one of our favorite seasons. Uh, I'm wearing it. Yes. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's got a little horned lizard on it and a red-tailed hawk. What are you wearing? Ah, uh, well, listen, I, I kind of scraped the bottom and came up with oh. my Celebrate Your Life t-shirt, which is when we were kind of, oh. uh, it has sibling rivalry on it and too much coffee. But some things never change. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's gray. It's got our mugs on it, and it's a. If it's gray and it's soft, I'm wearing it. That's the way I look oh. at it. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's a good t-shirt. That's a good t-shirt. Excellent t-shirt. Yeah, wow. we got a sponsor too, don't we? We do have a sponsor, and our sponsor is Save the Whales. Save the Whales is a nonprofit organization formed in 1977 by Maris uh, Stacker and uh, her daughter and. They continue to this day to promote and um, and actively operate this nonprofit uh, so that it can uh, educate uh, people, primarily uh, school kids, about the importance of these wonderful animals. And when the occasion arises and money is needed for a special project, primarily in the Pacific Coast area, they are ready to shake their their coffers and make something happen. So they do. They do. That's that's the good word. And, you know, they've got the test of time. I mean, what the 77, that's a long time they've been there and still kicking alive and kicking. Yeah, they are live and swimming. Uh, hey, and yeah. what? They, they have T-shirts, I oh. think, too. Oh, oh, oh. They, they got a lot of t-shirts. merch. They got merch. And, and that's how they started. They, they didn't take donations. They sold T-shirts and they still got T-shirts and they got lots of them. I got one. I'm happy I got one. You can buy one. We have the yeah. links. We have the links to buying a T-shirt from Save the Whales in our show notes. Also, you can just make a direct donation if you care to. That's in there too. Wow. You ready for a yeah, whale story? I'm ready. Well, listen. Do we decided a couple of weeks ago we did one on uh, team nicknames that have whale in them, and we picked the Chicago Whales baseball. So we decided to maybe pick a much more popular and kind of a a, a, a very 
iconic uh, club, a hockey team by the name of the Hartford Whalers. Now, the mm. Hartford Whalers is a, uh, is a professional hockey uh, team that uh, eventually moved out of Hartford. But between the years 1972 and 1997, they were existing in the New England area. They're a founding member of what was a, the fierce competitor of the NHL in the 70s, the World Hockey Association, the WHA. And they started in Boston, uh, but they were in a, they were in the Boston Garden and were not only, they weren't a second class tenant, they were a fourth class tenant. Ooh. They ended up, they had to get in line behind the Boston Celtics, the, the yeah. Boston Bruins, and then even a fledgling minor league team got better dates was the third one to get dates, and finally these, the Whalers had a chance. They were called the New England Whalers at the time. So mm. they decided, you know, we don't need to be fourth-class citizens in this town. We're going to move up over to Hartford. They've got a nice new convention center. So the, the, the thing about the club is that as while they were in the World Hockey Association, they were very popular. They actually won the first uh, championship of the WHA back in 1972. But by, by 1979, this club has uh, – has the whole league has morphed into the NHL, and out of that com- combination, the twelve clubs out of the N- of the WHA, those four, four, the twelve clubs in that, only four of them survived to make it to the uh, National Hockey League. Of which one of them was the Hartford Whalers. The Hartford Whalers then continued on and played through 1997 in Hartford. Uh, local ownership sold out to outside ownership. And before you know it, outside ownership said, you know, your attendance isn't quite good enough. So what we're going to do is we're going to move down to uh, Carolina. And they became the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, Uh, what's interesting about this club is that when you, you know, quite often clubs leave, they they keep the nicknames. But the Whalers doesn't exactly fit down in North Carolina. So they decided to drop it, which gives it sort of its kind of exclusiveness. It's a it's a it's something gone by now. The, so that's a little bit about the club, and some people and just we're celebrating this year the 25th anniversary of the demise of the Hartford Whalers. So it's, it's very uh, significant. It's very timely that we do attend, mention it. But the significance with this club is that its legacy continues in the form of the logo, which is used on their unif was used on their uniforms, and to this yeah. day. Many of the fans down in Carolina continue to wear the Whaler logo, even though they are now called the Hurricanes. Now it's, it's true just, they do. I saw a picture of a guy at a baseball game who caught a foul ball, and he's wearing the T-shirt with the logo on it. And what's interesting, yeah. and I'll let you talk a little bit about the logo, but the history of the logo is that when they moved from Boston to Hartford, the logo that they were using at that time had a harpoon in it and you know what it's like mm. you think a whaler do we want to really make a big deal about the fact that whales got killed in our logo so the fact that the, the logo was so bad it was not a hard act to follow to come up with a new logo and the new logo is is so simple but so so intricate in the way it yeah. plays with the words and it's got the tail and so it, it's the really w? It, the W, it's got it, and then of course you've got the H for for H. Hartford in it. So if you look very carefully, once gem. you look at it, it's all it's all sitting there. And mm. the, what's nice about it is that it 
sort of subtly pays homage to the old uh, league that they were in, the World Hockey Association, with the WH. So, yeah, it's very uh, subtle. So yeah, I I, I kind of like it, and I think it's it's a part of it, it's it's iconic, you know, sort of like we you hear about the St. Louis Browns in St. in in, in all yeah. over the country in terms of a of a crazy club because of the name, the Brownies or the Browns, and the same thing is happening yeah. in the hockey. So I think it's a well a something that makes a very good whale story for us. Is the bottom line? It, it does. Are you going to get one of those T-shirts? I probably will. You know, I, I really hadn't given it much thought. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, what the heck? I can get one yeah. and, and be strut around. You know what? Yeah, I, I, I think be... one of the, uh, this weekend, a friend of mine came into town who was a heart from Hartford and was a big Whaler, uh, fan. And he brought to my attention a lot of interesting things. They ran into some challenges. One year, they, uh, there was a severe snow in Hartford in the convention center. And so much snow on the roof that the roof caved in. Fortunately, it wasn't during a game. It was at night. And they had to play for a, a couple of years in uh, Springfield, Mass. Um, so they had their few few challenges. But they always yeah. they were not they were not real competitive once they got to Hartford. But they, they were pretty, you know, the idea of maybe not being well attended was that they they were looking for 15,000, 16,000 when the owner insisted upon them having at least twelve. And they were just a little bit underneath that. And before you know it, that was it. Yeah, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one of those. those All right. You've convinced well, you got a, you, Yeah, you've got brownie stuff. You know, you've got the browns. So why not, right? We have a word. And this word is a good segue into our two takes topic, too. Oh, the word please. is. Uh, you ready? Are go you ahead. Ready? No, you go ahead for it. All right. Geopolitics. Geopolitics. That's our word. And, you know, it's probably pretty obvious, but just to state the obvious, it, here's the definition. A national policy based on the interrelation of politics and geography. All right. So yep. here's an example in a sentence. They go where the profits are, not where the geopolitics dictates. When you take a look at uh, quite often conflicts uh, result as a result of geopolitics, countries looking at their situation and realizing that the geography isn't working in their favor and they got to do something about it. Well, the obvious thing to do is to, to, to attack them, the country they want and make their geopol- geopolitics better. That's, that's historically speaking, such as what Japan did in uh, World War II. So how it, it's, it's a word that I think we're, it's important that we know the, the definition of this word as we take a look at our two takes. Yeah. Now, how did, here's the big question everybody has. How did we get here? How did it's, we end up talking about this? story. Let's hear it. it. Well, the thing is that you brought it to my attention. I'd have to give credit to the producer here to start, to start it off. But what he found is he found an incredible uh, video that, in which somebody described Russia and uh what where russia was has been historically where russia was as it broke up and where russia is now and things have not really gotten if anything they've probably gotten worse for russia even after the breakup we know when i say breakup i'm referring to the fact when the ussr back in 1991 after the cold war ended uh there was a lot of internal strife and that internal strife is basically caused by some of the problems that Russia continues to have to this day which we're going to talk about. Yeah. So who did this is the amazing the person who was responsible for this 
was a, a, a fellow the, by the, the video. name of the video, the video. responsible so, for what, the breakup. <laughs> and, not yeah, okay, but what's his dumb scrambling Z Z I forget his name. Uh, uh, Zihan. 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 Yeah. And his first name is uh I think Peter. Like, or, Peter, Peter. 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 Peter is a geopolitical strategist, is a, a nice mm-hmm. way that and what does he do? He and, and is that in that position he has uh, gotten his degree in uh, at the University of Kentucky, the Patterson School of Diplomacy, and from that he took a job with a firm called Stratfor, which is a geopolitical consulting firm. He worked there for 12 years, and so he's got a really nice firm background in this. And he became with them a speaker, and he dove into taking a look at countries. How they in each countries, and then of course how our you know economy has become so worldwide. Corporations were very interested in his opinions. Now, when he first started, he was almost like entertainment because this guy is a soundbite just waiting to happen. He sounds yeah, he very is. very good. But finally, when he came out with a book uh, called The Accidental Superpower back in 2014. This became an important focal point or a point in his career because what's happened since then is in that book, he predicted that Russia would actually invade Ukraine. And not only did he predict what they would do, he predicted when they would do it to the year. Wow. So the fact is that we're, and we just want to caution everybody. If you look this guy up, he's made a lot of incredibly wild, not we call them wild predictions, but some that could be suspect. And we don't want to get into that. We're more interested in taking a look at what he has said and what's actually happened and why it has happened. So not looking into the future, but actually building up and trying to figure out where Russia is now and how it got there. So I think that's kind of – and I think talking about him being a soundbite is my favorite thing that he said about Zelensky, uh, the leader. He says, yeah, he went from chaplain to Churchill. I think with three so weeks. So it, in three three weeks. weeks. Yeah, in three yeah. weeks he goes from Chaplin to Churchill, and that really—that's <laughs> a good example. Okay. Hey, I've got—I wrote a—I wrote a little sum up. I want to read it to you. See what you think. Go for it. Okay. All right. So I was trying to get my head around, you know, what happened with Russia and why this invasion and why it went the way it did and all that stuff. So I said I, I wrote this question: What if, in order to dress for a ball, all your children had to go without clothes. Oh. Welcome, welcome to 300 years of Russian history, culminating in a desperate invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what happened. In other words, they wanted to be a world power. So you know, and they've always wanted to be a world power. This has gone on for centuries, you know, with the czars and the czarinas and all that stuff. So what they do is. They create these palaces and this unbelievable lifestyle for the few, and everybody else is, you know, eating straw. I mean, it's terrible. And the the serf uh, peasant uh, culture that they had for so many centuries has not really changed a heck of a lot. But instead of living on the land and freezing to death, they're living in apartments freezing to death trying to buy toilet paper. So, well, yeah, I think there's a, yeah, right? that's a good way of kind of summing it up and succinctly describing some of the, the situation that's there. I think we just number wise, uh, I remember in the video that somewhere along the line it mentioned that when we 
think of Russia, we used to think of Russia as, you know, our uh, number two or maybe three, you know, with China as being the the guys we got to really watch out for. Right now, when it comes to GMP, Russia is sitting at 11. So it's not even in the top 10 as it relates to right, it. Right. You've got obviously China, India, countries like that that are really are punching out the product. And it leaves kind of Russia in, 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 the, in the dust as a result. And you pointed out some very interesting things as we take a look at it. One of the things is the good news is geographically, Russia is immense. It's very large. Yes. The bad news is it's very large. It's very hard to get stuff around in that country. And you're dealing yeah. with a country that doesn't exactly have climate that's a walk in the park. Uh, nope. You know, when it, in the wintertime, things are hard to, to, to move around by train, et cetera, this and that, whatever. So the country as itself internally has some challenges with respect to climate and mm. also with respect to the economies of, of, of moving things around. Um, so I think that that was a, a very good point that was made in it. And to this day, it still has some of that because, you know, these countries that, that moved away, they don't have those climate challenges that no. Russia has. No, so, they so they look at that and they say, man, we need some of that. Um, I think the yeah. education thing that was brought out was very, very interesting. We remember when back in the, the in the when we were growing up in the 60s and 70s, et cetera, where Russia was known for having really scientists, high, ed, highly educated individuals. Now, we never knew how many of these there were, but we felt no. at least they had a, a smattering of them enough that they could purport themselves to be. Obviously, the space race worked in their favor. They got up there, got up in the sky before we did. And so we were left with this impression that their education was was pretty good. Yeah. Little do we know that that whole thing was a bit of a facade to start out with and crumbled what little was there. Um, because yeah. what happens is that, you know, we normally think of our education as going to grade school, high school, college. Some people go to graduate school. There's a natural means by which we are educated in a general way through high school. And then what we'll do is we feel that, you know, the people are ready to, to accept jobs, not in Russia. No. In Russia, it's more like vocational, and then you go through an apprenticeship as part of your education. So you're not even making money when you're doing that. So right. they've, and, and so as a result, the whole education platform, foundation, is nowhere near what it should be in terms of having people who are educated. So the ones who are educated are getting older. Mm. You're, you're 50, 60 years old when we're talking about military leaders. And, you know, we got, you know, they've lost a few of those recently. We don't need to get into that, though. Um, yeah. And so that's that's another big piece of it. Uh, I think the whole idea is when we take a look, well, how do they survive in terms of their economy? They've got one thing that works for them, and that's they can export oil. Okay. Yeah. You so they got oil. But. The fact is, again, it is somewhat challenged by the fact that they've got to move it around. So they have to put a lot of effort, a lot of money, and a lot of resources into making sure that they can get the pipelines, et cetera, that they're going so they can export that oil. And so that's part of it. Now, I think what's interesting as we take a look at the situation now is is the fact that we say, well, we're putting sanctions on Russia. But when I hear about how bad Russia is already – when Putin says, hey, you know what, they're not going to hurt us that much. He might. There might be an element of truth to that because they're in such sad shape already. Yep. That's right. So, it's crazy. 
it is is pretty wild stuff. And maybe you can explain a little bit about the nine corridors. Uh, it's kind of interesting where Russia has got a history of getting trampled on maybe 50 times over 50 the history. Times of- in the last three centuries, they've been invaded 50 times. And the reason why they invaded, again, the terrain works against them. They're flat. You know, there's there's no hills to fortify uh, a, a city or uh, fortification. You know, and, and that's a that's not a good thing. And there's no also there's no hills to, or, or even mountains to stop the weather. And the weather just blows down from the Arctic. So yeah. that's going against them. Their biggest oil, a lot of their oil is in Siberia. And this wreaks havoc with getting it out of the country. It takes special technical expertise to get it out of the ground. And so this is all working against Russia, the terrain. So they have to have these corridors open uh, uh, to get things out, but they don't want to let things in. So what they (laughs) right? They don't want to let invaders in. So this is a very tricky business. How do you do this is a balancing act? This is not easy. I'll give give them credit, they've survived this long with this situation. But it became untenable after a while because they feel so vulnerable. And also they're having trouble moving things around. They've been successful in supplying Europe with gas and oil, which is great, and China. But now, you know, they figured, well, we're still vulnerable, these corridors are still open. And is there a way we can keep the exports open and the importation of invaders uh, not? So what right. they thought was, oh, there's only one way to do this, and that is restore the old Soviet Union in some form so that we have at least allies around us. And this is why they're also so sensitive about neighboring countries becoming members of NATO. is right. That makes them feel very unsafe. It also threatens their economics. So they are in a bit of a tight spot. And, you know, the brain drain that we just talked about with education, yes. the aging of the population, they are now yeah, I wonder, desperate. Yeah. I desperate. think we, we need to revisit or take just a good good look at this aging because I mentioned it earlier. But when you take a look at it in terms of their military, what we find is that uh, in, in the good old days when they were more agricultural and they, they looked upon uh, families were basically another another person. They were a part of labor. However, what's happened is is the kids moved moved into the uh, into the cities. We find that yeah. what's happened is that the number of children that are that that Russian families have has gone from seven per down to less than two, even and pretty close. It's like one point one point two, one point two. It actually yes. went down to yeah. So the point being that what what's the implications of that? Well, when it when it comes to drafting. The source, their source of, of youth is very, very limited, and it's not going to get any better. So when you take a look at all that factor, that's a factor in itself, which says the time is right. The time is now or never in terms yeah. of them doing it. So some of the surprises that we, we felt have, have been taking place as it relates to Russia, when we take look at some of these uh, factors as it relates to it as a country, hey, look, that doesn't mean that they can't, you know, just obliterate Ukraine. They could do that. But part of the issue here is that if they do decide to do that, they are going to be using a major portion of their military force. And it leaves little after that, in addition to the fact that that force will have have a tough time in itself just maintaining control of that country. So they can, it's one thing I've said uh, said before, it, it, it's, it's as a major league player, it's easy to get there, but it's harder to maintain. It's the same thing with a country. 
You might yeah. win the country, but then you've got to maintain it. So then you've got insurgency and you get a feeling that uh, there's there's a very, very strong underlying force of that will, will basically be a thorn in the side of what, whatever happens. Yeah, and it's kind of sad, and I think the, and we so that that I think all these factors have, have really opened my eyes to seeing you know is is Putin a a crazy zealot uh, guy who's off his rocker in terms of what he's doing? Yeah, there's that element uh, element to them, but there's also I think just a dire straits critical emergency kind of force that he feels needs to be done now. Uh, and it, it has, uh, unfortunately, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, rationalizing what he's doing, but clearly there are some underlying reasons and the dire straits of Russia are a big part of that. History, 300 years of history. This is the culmination of it. Yeah. Is it, yeah, that it, you know, wow. Sad state of affairs. But I think, you know, the thing is every morning you get up and you see the, the news, Ukraine invasion news and, for a long time, I would just scratch my head and other parts of my anatomy and wonder, why the hell is this happening and why is it happening in this way? None of it made sense to me until I listened to this video and started doing research along these lines. Yeah. Because this is another way of looking at the problem, not just listening to sound bites. And I encourage everybody to actually do the work and listen and read and figure this out because it, nothing worse than feeling unsettled about everything. And right. listen to a few. Uh, Peter Zihan did a great job on this video, but he's got at least a dozen videos out there on YouTube that you can listen to, and he's got three excellent books that he's written. He's got one coming out June 14th that uh, looks more to the future in, in globalization and the effects on the U.S. So you want to you right. check these things out. I would also say that the, yeah, one last thing, and that is that this is a very this is a great example of our word geopolitics and how important it is, and, it's, and how important it is to understand the implications of actions that are taken by countries, and and geopolitics plays into it big time. So it does, it does. Got to know that. Well, now we need now we need a couple groaners. So our groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as Da Coach. Da Coach. And the coach delivers, and this week we've got a couple. we got a couple, on, and so here we go. Here's the first. What do you call a pudgy psychic? What do you call a pudgy psychic? <laughs> this is so, oh, so bad. Uh, I don't know. Okay, this is delivery is going to be important here, so I'm going to give it my best shot. You call a pudgy psychic a four-chin teller. Oh, that is bad. Which means that is so bad that it's going to be, it's going to sit, reside, not even on the stove. It's not even on the back burner. It's off the stove. That's for sure. Okay, here we go. This one's, I hope, a little bit better. Why was the Hallmark accountant not allowed to play blackjack in the casino? Why was the Hallmark accountant not allowed to play blackjack? Casino. He was thrown out of the casino. I don't know. He was a bean counter. You're close. Think about it. Blackjack. What do you do? What's what's a, what's illegal? Counting cards. He was a card counter. Hallmark. Oh, Hallmark <laughs> card counter. That's what he did. Oh God, that's clever. 
Clever. Yeah, I, I thought you'd like that one. It is. It's a good one. All right. Hey, okay, that's it. Adios, folks. <laughs>